You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. 702. Bongani Bingwa. Wrapping up your day. It's nine minutes after five o'clock. Of course, the word for 2016 was post-truth. And in a world in which fake news uh, dominates and is peddled as truth, where do journalistic standards of rigor begin and where do they end? I said earlier in the week that we in the media have an even bigger, bigger responsibility to not be an echo chamber and merely repeat each other's allegations, especially when those seem to be untested. Now, it gets complicated and you could say even layered because in light of the hashtag MeToo campaign, other questions are being raised. Do we we simply repeat allegations because they've been made? Do we have an obligation to test them in some way? Or would that be placing the complainant through yet more trauma? At least when the alleged perpetrator is alive, they have a right to defend themselves. But what happens if they are dead? Last week, the Mail and Guardian ran a story in which uh, a former PAC recruit into Apla alleged that she'd been raped by a former president of the party. It was a story that ran in the Mail and Guardian last week, and uh, they ran with it and... um, In it, they made allegations, some very, very serious allegations around a former PAC leader, Potlako Lebalo. Now, Potlako Lebalo died in exile in 1988 and obviously isn't around any longer to defend himself. And uh, it raised a number of questions around the story. Let me read a piece from uh, what they wrote, uh, what they published uh, in the Mail and Guardian last week. And uh, this is, of course, the testimony of one Sibongile Kumalo, promise Kumalo. She says, and I quote, I thought I would take this to my grave, but my real troubles started when I met Putlako Lebalo, then the PAC president. There was a roster for the women soldiers to clean his house. Little did I know that some of these women were being abused. I became one of them. He forced himself on me. He was an old man even then. After a long pause, staring into the distance, she adds, I can still smell that house. She added that during her time in the house, all the girls were made to refer to Libalo as daddy. And then the paper says, another source initially showed willingness to speak to the Mail and Guardian about her alleged abuse at the hands of Libalo, but later declined for fear of reprisal. The PAC spokesperson expressed his shock about the allegations, saying there'd been no prior reports of sexual assault against the party's former president. They said they were not aware of any such cases, and this was news to the PAC. So that's the story, and I mean, that's part of the story that the Mail and Guardian uh, wrote last week. Now, as I said, uh, Libalo died in 1986 in London. He's not here to defend himself, and almost anyone associated with him, from his family and comrades, obviously would deny any knowledge of such a story. So, can there be a case made for telling such a story? Now, according to South African law, the dead cannot be defamed, but does that mean we can speak ill of the dead? And is it doing so in the first instance? And how do we deal with all of that in the context of the hashtag MeToo campaign? What are we to do when accusations like this surface? Joining us on the line is a former editor of The Star, Peter Sullivan. Thank you, Peter, for your time and good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. What were your concerns when you read the piece? Well, as I read it, I thought to myself, you know, the dead really can't defend themselves. And it was a single allegation made against a man who hitherto has had 
no allegations made against him. That's not necessarily a defense. But it was one woman who made the allegations. There was no corroborating evidence. The family wasn't even contacted to ask their opinion. The person who was contacted, the PAC, was a fairly junior person, frankly, who would not have known the, uh, the former president of the PAC. And I just thought that a newspaper like the Mail and Guardian, which is a, a good newspaper that is, is read by opinion formers, should really have gone through some basic ethics before publishing a single source story about a man who was in very high office and who was dead. In defense uh, and in fairness to the Mail and Guardian, they did say in the piece, they mentioned another source who they said declined to speak for fear of reprisals. That's not mentioning another source. That's just rubbish. Um, Why do you say that's just rubbish? Well, it is. You can't say that there's another source who didn't speak because then they didn't speak, did they? So so if you're going to run, if you're going to run the kind of story, I'll tell you what worries me, Bonga, is that this is a man whose reputation has been intact since 1988 until now. Now, for the rest of time, certainly for the next, whatever we know, 100 years, whenever anybody Googles him, the first story that will come up is this allegation of rape. And the, the woman herself doesn't say he raped me. She says he forced himself on me. I assume that's rape. The Mail and Guardian seem to make that assumption themselves and run it as rape across the front page. They didn't give it a kind of reasonable display. That was the main lead story in the paper. And it was a, a single source allegation about a dead person. And, and uh, I wrote them a letter to say that you know, since, the, since nearly 3,000 years ago, the Romans and the Greeks have all said, say nothing but good about the dead. And I mean, I think there's a reason for that. And perhaps we should listen to those, that ancient wisdom. So, and newspapers have a special duty in repeating allegations. Peter, I have to come in and ask you and say, in the context of campaigns like Me Too, hashtag Me Too, what's the responsibility of the media in general, I suppose, when such allegations surface? Well, I think you can publish an allegation like that if it's about a living person, because they can always defend themselves. They can go to court. They can do what they like. You know, they can they have a way of defending themselves and uh, generally you would ask that person for their opinion as has happened in the Jennifer Ferguson case, and the people can decide that they don't want to say anything or they can try to defend themselves. But if somebody's dead and has been dead for a long time, I think if somebody died and there was an allegation the very next day, oh, this guy raped me, although he's died now, maybe then there would be a case. But he's been dead since 1988. Suddenly one person comes up with this allegation. There's no way to defend us. So, Peter, what about the point of view that says it's, it's adding yet further trauma to victims if we choose to ignore uh, these allegations when they are made, regardless of when yeah. uh, the person against whom they're made died? Yeah, that's a very valid point. And that's where I think newspapers need to draw a line. I think somebody, if, if the woman wants to make the allegation and say so publicly, that's fine. But a newspaper, especially an opinion-forming newspaper, not a sensationalist newspaper, because, I mean, the Mail and Guardian's not the sun, so it doesn't repeat allegations willy-nilly, hopefully. Then you need to at least test that allegation, make sure that 
the woman was where she said she was because apparently, according to the family, she wasn't. And there are a couple of checks and balances you can do and then think to yourself as an editor, is it valid to besmirch the name? Well, I don't know whether besmirch, but in, to make this allegation, which is then going to be in print forever and nobody able to defend it. All right. Former editor of The Star, Peter Sullivan, on the line there from Johannesburg. And, of course, listening in on that conversation is the editor of The Mail and Guardian, Khadija Patel, and we'll give her her right of reply in a moment. 702. 702. Bongani Bingwa. Wrapping up your day. It's 19 minutes after 5 o'clock. We are having a right of reply conversation. And uh, joining us now on the line is the editor of The Mail and Guardian, Khadija Patel. Thank you for your time and good afternoon to you. You heard, of course, uh, what Peter O'Sullivan had to say, and I suppose as an industry colleague, and of course, Lebalo's son, uh, Mutuasele, they've both expressed outrage at, your, at the piece from last week. And to your credit, of course, you've published both their letters. Uh, and cell phone signals do what they do. I tell you what, we'll try and get Khadija Patel back on the line there. Uh, but that's the, that's the opening, I suppose, comment I wanted to make to her that, uh, Yes, Peter Sullivan did write this letter. It's in the letter section of today's Mail and Guardian where he expresses his outrage. There's also in there a letter uh, from uh, Musuase Lebalo, who's the son of uh, the man who's at the center of uh, this saga. And uh, to their credit, the Mail and Guardian did publish both letters. We do have Khadija back on the line. Uh, Khadija, good afternoon to you. And as I was saying, to your credit, you've published both of the letters that expressed uh, a lot of outrage at that piece. Indeed, Pungani, and actually if you look at our comment and analysis section in this week's paper, you'll see that we're reflecting very deeply um, around the ethics, uh, you know, on you know, reporting rape as journalists, what our responsibilities are. But we're trying to go, you know, and we want to be leading the debate around this. I've listened to Peter and I respect him, I respect his work and I respect his opinion. But with all due respect, as much as he says that newspapers have a special duty, and I agree, we do have a special duty. And I think that that duty particularly is about calling out injustice. And the, the, you know, the world right now is negotiating a particular moment. We are coming, we are confronting the absolute horrific levels of sexual abuse that goes unreported, not just in South Africa, but around the world. But bringing it back home, there are so many cases of sexual abuse that happen daily, that go unreported, which the courts will never, ever hear, which will never reach the police stations. And though even those that do reach the court never quite do justice for the survivors here. Khadija, I have, really? to, I have to come in and say to you, ethical journalism demands that we in the media treat sources, subjects, colleagues, I suppose, and members of the public, anyone we write or speak about, as people deserving of respect. I mean, do you believe you've done that here against a man who cannot speak for himself? Indeed, I think we have. We treated this story as we do any other story. We, uh, you know, our reporter went out and he interviewed this, uh, you know, this woman and he got searing testimony 
from her. We checked that. As you know, as you've noticed, we also tried to get other people who knew the man at that time, particularly women who knew the man, because I think this is also really important. And that I do empathize with the family and I do empathize with, you know, friends, colleagues and comrades of this man who knew him in a particular way. But I think the whole point, Pongani, is that just because you knew a man in one way does not mean that he could not have done this. But in the piece, only one person was uh, was attributed as having as having made these accusations specifically. Yeah, indeed. Um, there was only one person who had come, you know, and who was ready to actually put their name and their face to these accusations. So on the basis of one source, you surely can understand the objections? I can understand the objections, but what, I, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that we are, through this story, trying to highlight the fact that even in the liberation struggle, even in, you know, even in, you know, in scenes and in, you know, in scenarios where in the fight is a progressive one, Women are still abused. I think no one will argue with that point, Khadija, but there's a problem when you write a story about somebody who can't defend themselves on the basis of one source. Your accusations cannot be tested. Surely you have a responsibility to do no harm. And in this case, if you've only relied on one person, you have done harm. I, I think, Bongani, what you, ha- you know, what our responsibility here... I is also to understand that we are carrying the voice, an important voice of a woman who is alleging sexual abuse. And I think that as much as, you know, you know, we listening to the other, you know, the others, the family, etc. You know, can you understand how all of that already is overshadowing what this woman is saying? I, 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 are I we think... delegitimizing her voice? But the point is, it, I mean, obviously, uh, her story is a painful one. And there's, no, there's no one who's, who's ever going to say uh, that it should, be, it, you know, it should be cast aside. But at the same time, the difference between a paper like yours and tabloid journalism is that we always know if it's in the Mail and Guardian, it's gone through a rigorous testing and fact-checking process. And in this case, it doesn't seem you can say that. But... Sh- um Bongani, in this in this particular case, we are saying that one person, and I mean, look at the way that we frame the story. We're saying that one person is saying we've got the you know, we've got the um, you know the uh, the marks there. Liberation leader raped me. We're carrying one person's testimony, one person's story. It's not enough to list unsubstantiated accusations that you have no way of proving. That surely cannot be right, Khadija. No, but Bongani. We are carrying the story of one woman. We are doing our journalism. We have corroborated. We have everything with that whom? this woman is saying with, with people around her, with others. We looked at, you know, we looked at TRC records. If you looked at, we looked back at that page that, you know, we went back, we tried to find, uh, you know, other cases. But in your piece, I'm stuck with the thing that you wrote in the actual piece. In the piece, you insisted uh, no one else was able to speak or willing to speak. So as far as what you had on the record, it was only one source. That's what the piece said. Yes, we have. So again, we have one person. Just listen to yourself, Pongani. We have one person, one woman saying that this person in power raped me. 
And for you, that's enough. For us, if we have done our due diligence in actually checking her story, I think that it is important for people in the media as journalists to be taking those stories forward. And if we had not published these stories, would we be having these conversations? Would we be actually looking back and looking at what our duty is in carrying these stories, in treating um, you know, the lives of people that we report on honorably? All right, Khadija Patel, the Mail and Guardian editor on the line from Johannesburg. What are your thoughts? How should newspapers deal with this information? Are you satisfied that uh, the Mail and Guardian did all it could and created no harm in this instance, as Khadija outlined? Or are you with Peter Sullivan on this and you expect more from the media and particularly a newspaper like the Mail and Guardian? Odable one eight eight three zero seven zero two. You decide.